Right Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the Union Pilots of JetBlue. Now from New York, Ride Report. Well, hello once again, and welcome back, JetBlue Pilots and other podcast listeners to Ride Report. I'm your host, J.R. Hall. First off, I know it's been some time between episodes, um, but coming to you in the near future is quite a bit of content, including something that we've received a lot of feedback on as part of our CBA Navigator series. We'll bring in the uh, the three members of our negotiating committee and hear directly from them answers to your question. So we can't thank you enough for coming back and spreading the word about Ride Report. Now, on top of all that is this upcoming three-part series of part one here today uh, to give you the JetBlue pilot, a comprehensive overview of the culmination of nearly four years of work to move our safety programs forward. And by safety programs, we'll go through the list. We're talking about a lot of safety programs. Some you may remember and some you may not remember. Uh, in these next few episodes, we're going to cover our ASAP program, FOQA, Aircraft Data Protections, uh, LOSA, the Line Operation Safety Audit, um, how Central Air Safety works with the company and works on behalf of our JetBlue pilots as well as many, many, many other things. So let's just jump right into it. Once again, joining me, big friend of the podcast, Blake Kelly, Central Air Safety Chairman and Vice Chair, Vaughn Ritter. Guys, how are you? Hey, JR. Good to be here. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Boy, where do we even begin? There's been an awful lot of communication with regard to the safety LOA, but I think we we all know that it's been somewhat fragmented, and now we're finally to this point where all of them are drawn together. But fragmented, Blake. Right? We had a couple of we had an LOA, we had an MOU that brought in little individual pieces of this movement in some of the programs. Correct? Yeah, Jr. Uh, this has been a long road, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. You know. Uh, how we got here, but yeah, we've, uh, you know, we released LOA 14, which was mostly, which was on fatigue back in last summer, as well as MOU 18, which talks about our full-time focal gatekeeper program and, and introduced this concept of crosstalk. But we finally, the big chunk of it has now LOA 16, which is our full comprehensive safety LOA which, you know, has a lot of pieces to it, but they were all tied together. So we had to wait till everything was done before we could get it released to, to the pilot group. Just on the background, Vaughn, as far as the, the LOAs and the MOUs and now in AIP, all of this is, is really just part of the, I don't want to use the word negotiation, but it's all part of like a, a contractual process, correct? In putting all this together? It was all in the scope originally when we went into uh, working on the agreement in principle. Um, they were just parts that were able to be separated or finished on their own. So it was all part of the plan to begin with. And we uh, worked on those along with everything else that's in- incorporated in LOA 16. Let's dovetail it all together. I guess, Blake, I'll, I'll throw the first one to you. Let's, the high level overview of the safety program, sure, we're going to get into the very individual aspects of some of those changes with uh, subcommittee chairs. I know ASAP and FOQA will have uh, a, a really good conversation on on some of the bigger, more meaningful changes there. But to the JetBlue line pilot, what's what's some of the background that that they might not see outwardly that's working to benefit them going forward? Yeah, Jr. I guess uh, 
I guess I got to go all the way back to when Alpha was voted on uh, on the property here at JetBlue that really this started because with Alpha came, of course, you know, everything being under the Railway Labor Act and, and getting a collective bargaining agreement. And the big piece that came with Alpa was Alpa's background as a the largest safety organization in the world. And so the resources of Alpa and the structure of Alpa when it comes to safety came into the fold. And also with many of these safety programs like ASAP, for example, those programs are built on the partnership of not just the company and the FAA, but also uh, the labor organization representing the, the work group, in this case, Alpa representing our pilots. So that started the pathway down there. Um, so obviously our, our, our Center of Safety Committee was stood up, started working and integrating into those programs. But when it came to addressing the contractual language, that was a little messy with our first CBA coming out. Uh, neither side, the company or the association, wanted to try to work out and negotiate safety or with, alongside all of these other uh, items in our first CBA. So the concept was, we'll address that later after CBA mm. one is out. And it just took a while that after the CBA was was ratified and implemented, that we finally were able to get traction with the company of, of reminding them, hey, we, we need this contractual language on safety. And Vaughn, what very broad question, probably very difficult to answer if you ask me, but <laughs> I'll ask it to you anyway. Why? Why Why? Why is it necessary to amend these programs or, or bring them into the next step? What is, what's some of the beneficial takeaways for the line pilot in, in advancing these programs forward and, and coming to an agreement like this? Well, there are a lot of factors that go into that, obviously. Obviously, we want something that's going to be a standard that continues well beyond our, our time served uh, as volunteers. Um, it sets a roadmap for both sides on how we're going to work together. Beyond just, just having a roadmap to work with, you know, the company had policies in place for a lot of the safety programs that we discussed uh, for this LOA. Sure. But, but the contract codifies those things for all our work actions, for everything we do. And it really uh, sets the bar that JetBlue is, is serious about safety and they're willing to work with us to make sure that this is a standard and it's a high standard. Blake, where does this begin as far as how it trickles down into the remainder of the programs, I guess? Does it start with the, we've heard this in Recurrent and it's been around here recently in the last 10 years, but the SMS, the safety management system, that's, that's literally where all of these programs kind of begin is based on that framework of an SMS, correct? Yeah, correct, JR. I mean, um, you know, really, ASAP, FOQA, LOSAP, these programs, these acronyms, you know, if you've been in the industry for a while, you, you've heard them, they've been around, some of them, a few decades. But they all were designed to kind of run individually. And they're all kind of were the birth of SMS. They all have the SMS principles kind of inside of them about, you know, you know, having a safety and reporting culture, you know, protecting the data, treating, treating the participants in the program fairly, uh, not misusing it. And the problem was, is they, again, they kind of were all siloed and, and operated independently. And with the advent of SMS or safety management system, uh, airlines had to build a systematic way within their airline to incorporate all this data into one system to identify hazards and mitigate risk, right? 
So ASAP, FOQA, these programs now live in the larger umbrella of SMS and feed that SMS and gets that information and tracks the, you know, mitigations and corrective actions the company takes from these programs. You know, not only do we feel that, you know, as the history has been with ASAP and FOQA, where the labor organizations are part of those programs, that carries forward into SMS as well. We are part of the SMS as not only individual pilots, but as an association. And so we have a seat at the table and in the SMS and making sure that the one it's running effectively and that the data is being used appropriately to, to mitigate risk and, and improve safety. Can we transition into a couple things specifically outside of the, the programs, but I, I think probably one of the most beneficial that pilots may or may not have an opportunity to uh, experience is uh, something that came from the safety LOA, the, the notifications to central air safety, allowing a conduit for our volunteers to reach out on a real time basis to a crew that's going through some kind of an irregular event. Real time. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to a fellow pilot regardless, whenever there's a unusual situation. But as far as the association goes, we didn't have that visibility to know when it was going on real time. Part of the LOA uh, sets the standards on that, and we've actually been working with them, with the company on that. Uh, it allows us to respond real time, to contact a pilot so they have somebody to talk to outside of the company themselves. Been very beneficial, and, and sometimes an event may require a uh, critical incident response reach out from uh, fellow pilots sure. to be able to do that in a timely manner. So to, to some of those pilots that may have received the email either during the event or shortly after the event, it's part of this safety LOA that is afforded now an opportunity to get real-time triage assistance to a crew, like you said, in, including critical incident response, right? Absolutely. Before we jump into the the kind of the higher level stuff, Kazakh admin, and, and maybe perhaps some definitions that we'll see, is there anything else from a high-level overview that doesn't directly present itself for the JetBlue line pilot that's included in the in the safety LOA? Yeah, there, there's a lot to this LOA that that brings uh, the association, specifically uh, the Center of Safety Committee, uh, into the fold uh, as part of the safety management system of the airline and 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 as a stakeholder in it. So there's a lot of advancements in making sure our volunteers, you know, one get the access to the same systems and resources that, you know, safety department crew members at the airline, you know, have getting access to certain information like notifications of events, uh, access to some of the data. So that way we can fulfill our role in assisting the advancement of safety with, with the safety department and with flight operations. There's also a lot about, you know, additional resources for our committee, you know, being able to get positive space travel, be able to be at the meetings that we need to be at and so forth. So there's a lot there. Probably the line pilot doesn't see the great work that our 40 plus safety volunteers that they're volunteering their time to help advance safety for our, not only our airline, but for each and every one of us when we go to work and go fly. So it's, it's a great uh, advancement for them to be able to do that work uh, and support it in this agreement that, that our line pilots you know, out there may not see every day, but uh, certainly do see the benefits when they when they trickle down uh, to them. As far as definitions concerned, are, is there anything that relates to this safety data within the, the CASG admin section? 
Yeah, thanks, JR. Thanks for bringing that up because the definitions are are just as important as some of these provisions, and we spend a lot of time on them. So as we go through the various sections of the LOA, uh, it's good to kind of circle back to these definitions and what they mean. When it comes to the CASC admin section, there's really only two that are, are very key to understand. One is safety programs. You'll see that repeated throughout the LOA, and it's, it is covered in, in Section B. That's kind of to help scope what we're talking about. And it's safety programs is a very broad term to, to kind of talk about ASAP, FOQA. And it means any of the policies, programs, or procedures that are outlined either in LOA 14 or LOA 16. So that's just a scope to the safety programs we're talking about. And then safety programs data is a term you'll see definitely in the CASC admin section. It's also in a few other sections to come. And that's the scope, what data we're talking about. And that's kind of a little bit more narrowed on specific safety programs. So they're actually spelled out in the definition, ASAP, FOQA, FRMS, LOSA, the safety action report. And it's the data end to end on those programs from the report all the way through the corrective actions that report generates in the safety management system. That's something that we're going to be having access to, and it's something that we kind of refer to as the data that is uh, protected and also uh, uh, managed under the remediation process if necessary. We mentioned it in the in the opener of the podcast that this took quite a while to do. If anybody listening remembers, this process started in 2019. Can you speak to some of the best reasons how how it just took so long to get something that I think we could all appreciably understand should be quick, right? Because it involves safety. We've gone into the nuance of it, but just how did it take this long to get to where we are now? Uh, JR, that's a, it's, it's a tough question. There was a lot, lot in it. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, neither, neither side wanted to bring a lot of these items related to safety and these safety programs into uh, Section 6 bargaining. And the association's uh, perception was that we would address those after the first contract was, was ratified and we would get uh, a, an LOA or a collection of LOAs to address these items outside of Section 6 bargaining. There was a lot of false starts. You know, there were a few attempts to try to get a FOQA LOA going, uh, just focused on that aspect. But unfortunately, there's just really no traction was really was getting underway. And then we found ourselves in late 2019, we had a changeover in MEC officers. We had a changeover in, in some of the committee leadership. The, the issue came up where we're probably closer now to CBA 2 negotiations than we are to finishing CBA 1 negotiations. And we did not want to go into uh, Section 6 again with all these safety items still open and still a desire that we don't want to mix safety with all these other uh, collective bargaining items that you, you deal with under Section 6. Sure. Yeah. So, so the MEC directed that you know we really need to initiate these discussions and, and focus it on safety and address all of these safety items, which, which were pretty comprehensive when we so the, we did a research looking at what all the other carriers have, and there is a lot of contractual language examples out there at the major carriers that have all these agreements in place for quite some time, actually. Uh, so JetBlue was a clear outlier. So we, and, and a lot of credit to um, the MEC officers, the, the past cadre with, with Captain Wayne Scales and Captain John Costello and Captain Chris Kenny that 
help push this and, and make it important to understand because uh, given there was a lot of changeover in, in, in JetBlue management that kind of asked, well, we have a CBA. Why do you need this? Right. So we had to educate them on why we felt this was very important uh, to our pilot group and important to safety. So we kicked off those uh, discussions in early 2020. COVID really bogged us down, uh, obviously, because that, that was a major distraction for us and the company dealing with that crisis. Uh, but we were still able to meet virtually and get an agreement in principle in September of that year. But then as you get into full contractual language, writing out the LOA, that's where the real meaty discussions occurred, especially with when you open up the table, right? Uh, when we did the agreement in principle, it was it was Vaughn, I know yourself, JR were involved with the director of uh, operational uh, safety and SMS, uh, Captain Mike Hildebrand, and just safety people in the room, kind of just talking high level, we were in agreement. But when we opened the table, you know, to have a lot of other leadership, both on the association side and, and the company, you get really into the nuances of what these, what these contractual language means and the protections it's really going to give for pilots. And you start talking about specific scenarios. And so, and then you're, you're, you're working on language, which is uh, a process that as a safety professional, we're not, we're not, we're not usually the ones negotiating. So we had a lot of great help from uh, Captain Tommy Young, who was a member of the negotiating committee who came in and was our subject matter expert on how to manage the process and work to develop uh, language with proposals going back and forth. But there were a lot of discussions that really educated both sides as we really, really got into what we were agreeing to here. And we, we really had to move that along. And, and we had a couple of times we reached in passes and it took uh, the MEC officers to help it keep it moving. But this is all under outside of section six. This is not something that the company had to sit down and bargain with us. It was very difficult, but we were able to get it done. And very similar to a CBA or anything else, when a pilot goes to look at the very first pages of this safety LOA, they're going to see definitions uh, very similar to any other contractual agreement. CASIC admin is a section that I want to jump in with the both of you here right now. Vaughn, to the JetBlue line pilot, what what's some of the contents within that CASIC and administration section that a pilot may not realize is a is a a good benefit or a a good working now structure for any kind of event they may encounter while they're out on the line? Well, just looking at uh, the beginning of B with the administration and decision-making, um, that really sets the tone and the governance of every program that's in, in, encapsulated in the letter of agreement. And it, it, it basically splits, makes it even partnership between both the company and Central Air Safety Committee on, on the operation of both those. So it works via consensus. Both sides need to agree on the right way to operate the program, make sure that it's, it's functioning in the way that it's supposed to. So that's, that's a big part of it that we didn't have. It was completely one-sided on the companies to decide how anything was going to work on any of these programs. Blake, I'll throw the same question to you. What's what's some of the things that you see jumping off the page uh, that are beneficial to JetBlue Line Pilot contained within uh, Central Air Safety Administration? A big part of this um, of this section is to, to help set the governance for the, for the remainder of the LOA. A big piece of that is also ties into, uh, it's the section on remediation, um, section B4, 
talks about, yes, as Vaughn just mentioned, if there isn't consensus and there's a disagreement or an issue, how are we going to deal with that? And so, again, this is not the typical area of our contract. So I understand under our CBA, we obviously have a dispute resolution process. Uh, it's slightly different when it, as it relates to LOA 16, this LOA, and LOA 14, which was part of these uh, safety discussions. So it says if we have any issues in LOA 14 or 16, and we're unable to reach consensus, uh, there's a remediation process between uh, basically the v vice president of safety at JetBlue and the uh, cash chair. And they are kind of the es first escalation path. So if there's an issue maybe between a, a safety manager at the company and one of our CASC subcommittee chairmen or chairpersons, um, that they would escalate that to the VP of safety and the cash chair. And they would attempt to work it out. If they're unable to reach an agreement, either side can initiate a process called abeyance. And what that means is we can put a pause on one or more safety programs governed by the LOA. There's only a few exceptions that are, are company regulatory programs that can't be put on pause. But, but when it comes to ASAP, FOQA, fatigue, pretty much everything else, uh, they can be put on hold where can still submit reports, data can still be collected, but you cannot get the benefits of those programs, you know, process them, analyze them, produce results until we resolve the issue. So, and either side can initiate that. So that's just to uh, be able to put kind of a, a cooling off period, sure. uh, put everything on pause to figure out what's going on and, and hopefully uh, get it resolved between uh, the vice president of safety and the cash chair. There's no escalation path beyond that. So it's not like we can grieve it or send it to arbitration like other elements of the contract. This is an ability to, to kind of, again, show the importance of our participation in these programs. And like, like we always could have done with ASAP, you can always walk away from it, but then you're shutting down the program and have to completely restart it. This process at least allows the programs to exist, but cannot receive the safety benefits out of them until the issue is resolved. I think another one's probably going to jump off the page and for either Blake, you or Vaughn, removal of service. It is something that, that can happen from time to time. It's not always somebody has done something wrong, but it is something that jumps off the page that somebody might not understand why this needs to be included in the LOA. But can you give us a, a little bit more on why that is so important to have this process spelled out? as to, you know, how it begins to, to how it ends in removing a pilot from the line. Yeah, I'll, uh, if you don't mind, maybe I'll take a, the background and Vaughn can talk about the process outlined in, in B5, because this is an interesting one that actually was not in the agreement in principle, but came up in, in discussions. Where, where removal from service in LOA 16 came from is in our uh, CBA, the company has the ability to remove pilots from service uh, in two sections. Um, either section 19, which is a, a discipline or section 15, which is fit for duty. So the company could remove with pay protection, a pilot under those two sections. And it outlined the process to be followed. The issue we had is since my time at JetBlue, it's the company has been removing pilots after a safety event. So there might be a, a significant safety event, maybe it's an NTSB investigation or something serious that's going to go through ASAP 
and they would remove the pilot with pay protection. It's not discipline. Um, Which I think is very important to say, not discipline, right? For now. Correct. Correct. Uh, they would, we would remove you under a code called RPI remove pending investigation. And again, that was really for, it was a code used under, you know, when you're being investigated, maybe for a disciplinary case, but you would still be removed uh, with pay. They were using the same code for safety, but there, there was no concern of discipline, but you'd be pay protected and be waiting the outcome of the safety process before you can be returned, you know, returned safely to flying again. And we had a concern with that because I think you can understand JR's pilots might be like, well, wait a minute, I don't understand. Am I in trouble or not? And we had a problem as an association because there was nothing in the contract that allowed the company to do that, yet they were doing it. And we had a concerns over the confusion of, is a pilot being removed under section 15? Are they being removed under section 19? Are they being removed for safety? There was not a clear communication to the association or the pilot of what process they're underneath. And so we highlighted that to the company as we need to have a clear indication of when a pilot's being removed from service, what process are they underneath and how they're going to be managed. Uh, so that way the pilot can understand what's going on. And then as an association, we can properly support that pilot. So, um, and, and maybe Vaughn could talk about how we developed this process and, and what it means to be removed for a safety. As far as developing the process, as you, as you look through that section of it, um, the first part describes who who can remove a pilot from service. And it really is limited to VP of safety, the director of operations, director of safety, uh, and the system chief pilot. And that, that prevents, you know, anybody in any department from getting their hands involved in a safety issue. Sure. Once somebody's removed, it's a safety-related thing, as Blake said, and it's not discipline. If there becomes something else that's discipline-related, they have to notify that they want to clearly transition them to a different removal process under the CBA. And that eliminates any of that confusion that, that Blake was describing. When, when a pilot's going to be returned to service, sometimes, depending on if they've been out for a long time, they have concerns about an event and don't feel comfortable coming back yet. They need to, to talk to somebody, whether it's PAN or SERP. Or, there's a uh, meet and confer portion of that. Vice President of Safety and the uh, Central Air Safety Committee Chair will meet and discuss that prior to returning a pilot to service. And that makes sure that all the concerns that are associated with it are addressed before somebody's put back out on the line. Anytime a pilot's not returned to service after, say, they have an ERC uh, event review committee in, in ASAP and ASAP suggest, you know, doing something, whether it be a simulator session or something like that. Once that's completed, there should be no pause in them coming back. And that prevents them from just sitting on the sidelines indefinitely for, for an unknown reason. So it, it allows us to, to make sure that they get to get back to work if uh, they were taken offline for, for any reason. So, Blake, we know that we were talking about abeyance just a couple of minutes ago where it's the it's still the collection of the data from all of these uh, safety programs, but also contained within Kazakh admin is is data administration or it, the way that I kind of read it. It's it's the handling of of all of this data. And then it dovetails into safety program data from ASAP or FOQA, fatigue, LOSA safety action reports 
when it comes to the data administration, what was the real need to to make sure that uh, it was included in this LOA? What are some of the benefits that that we get having this codified within the safety LOA? Yeah, sure, Jr. So, so one of the things when it comes to these safety programs we're talking about, and and our concern as line pilots, right, is is not only worried about ourselves individually of getting unfairly treated or or having uh, getting in trouble, but we worry about where that data is going to go and, and how that data is going to be used. And we certainly have that same concern as a as an association, right? We want we want to help advance safety. We are willing to provide safety data, but we don't want that safety data then to be misused or get out into circles that it shouldn't get into and, and identify pilots or identify issues and, and venues we don't participate in or be concerned about. So section B6 in the CASC admin section uh, talks about just general data administration across the LOA and all these programs. And it just sets some, some clear guardrails about how the data will be managed and used. Um, basically, it says it'll be governed by all the applicable provisions of the LOA and that if it's going to be disclosed outside of the uses within the LOA, there's some certain rules that the company has to follow. Obviously, if the company has to disclose data required by law or regulation, uh, they can do that, but they have to notify us. And if they, again, want to disclose safety data, they have to follow some, some requirements up to and getting association approval on that. And that's just to make sure, again, that the data is protected and treated appropriately. Well, Blake, Vaughn, I'm telling this is just the first episode of three. As we're wrapping up here, just on this very high-level overview with both of you, is there anything else you'd you'd want to highlight that's outside of some of the more specific safety program related? Uh, well, Jr., I'd like to obviously thank uh, a lot of a lot of members of our union uh, helped to see this through. I've got a very uh, exhaustive list here of a lot of people to thank, but. You know, this was a, a very much a team effort of, of the committee, not just, just you, me, and Vaughn, but the, the Center for Safety Committee sub, uh, subcommittee chairs, Captain Tommy Young, uh, Alpha Legal, our MEC, our MEC officers. But one thing that helped really get this across was we were consistently able to point to the great work that our safety volunteers do and the value they bring to the safety management system of the airline, the, the companies saw that value and also seeing the value our pilots bring to safety in their participation in these programs uh, and the insight that management's able to get into the safety of the operation. So those, those two groups are pilots and the, and the safety volunteers really, uh, why they might not even know that the, what they do that brought a lot of value and helped us at the table to get this LOA done. The last point I'd like to make is just there's a lot of information coming. This is a very comprehensive, yet uh, it is safety. It's something not all of us are very familiar with. It is can be nuanced and complex. So a lot of information coming. It's a, it's a 20-page LOA. Uh, don't expect pilots to understand it overnight, but I do hope pilots will take the time to understand the benefits this LOA brings You know, before you need it. Uh, none of us get get our uniform on go to work and say to ourselves you know oh, i'm gonna file an asap today or i'm gonna bend metal today we don't know what could happen to us when we go to work and so obviously we hope to have a very safe uneventful flight every time but uh when something like this comes up it's it's very important that our pilots understand 
the protections that are afforded to them and how the process is going to work. Uh, we certainly try to respond and, and we'll help the pilots walk through it, but uh, it's, it's certainly something you'd rather know you have before uh, you actually need to put it in place. And thanks, JR, for having us on. Vaughn? I would echo everything Blake just said, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. FOQA, Accident Investigation, Aircraft Data, and Recorders is going to be in another upcoming episode. We wanted to put these kind of segmented so it's always available for, for all of us to go back and listen to. Like Blake said, this is a, it's a, it's a rather large document. A PDR is always best. If you're reading through this and, and you've got a question, shoot us a PDR. We're always available through that means to, to get any questions you have further. Uh, LOSA, SMS, we'll talk safety investigations in ASAP in, in future episodes. All of this contained within our new uh, safety LOA 16. Central Air Safety Chair Blake Kelly, Central Air Safety Vice Chair Vaughn Ritter. Guys, thank you so much for breaking down some of the very beginnings of, of this safety LOA and look forward to talking to you and the subcommittee chairs on a future episode of Ride Report coming up soon. Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpa for the union pilots of JetBlue.